0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Uh, I want to do a group brainstorm for a little bit as we start this morning. Um, I want you to think about a king's coronation. Uh, so a king getting the crown and becoming king. And I just want you to call out what are, what are words that you think of, what are elements, what are pictures that you see um, that, that go along with the idea of a king's coronation. What kind of stuff? What kind of stuff goes with that? Spectacle. A spectacle, okay? It's pomp and circumstance. Jewel. Jewels and riches, good. What else? Trumpets. Is what? Trumpets. Trumpets, uh, Trumpets. a blast and declaring, good. I thought you said trump. Like <laughs> we're, we're, we don't have a king, <laughs> not yet, okay? A crown. Good. Crown is important. A feast. A big meal. Let's invite. Let's celebrate. Let's sit around a huge table. Lots of good food. Good. Others? Joy. Robe. Right? He gets dressed. He's adorned. Mike? Music. Servants. Good. Good. You get the sense of power, right? A throne. There's power, and there's majesty, and there's a celebration. And there may actually be fear. Uh, Not all kings come in with a grand celebration. Some come in as a, you will follow me or else, okay? So um, can somebody dim the lights real quick? I want to play a 60-second video. We didn't test it this morning, so the audio—we'll see how it works. Okay, but 60 seconds of uh, a coronation that we we would say that's consistent with a coronation that we could imagine. Veruna pledges its truth. ascends the throne. Uh, He stands uh, in what seems like victory. He's got an army at his disposal. He comes out and he presents himself to people who are crying out, Long live the king! And he's got servants and a country who want to bow to him. That seems like our picture of a king, right? There's power in it. This is what we think power looks like. This is what the world thinks power look like. And that's what, we, that's what we strive for. People say, you know, power corrupts. And the truth is, our heart is corrupt. And when we get a little power, that power becomes corrupt. Because if we say God is all-powerful, it's not power that's the corrupt thing. Power reveals what's already going on in us. Okay? But that's what, we, that's what we go for. And God is telling a different story of power. God is telling a different story of what it looks like to be a king. And this is one of the the things that we're talking about through this Far Country series that says this world is not our home. God places us in this world, but he doesn't want us to be of this world. And so we've worked through guys like Abraham, who is called to leave everything that he knows. He's called uh, to leave his possessions and his positions, his dreams, and even his relationships so that he can follow God. Tim Dunn came and he spoke about Moses. And he said, "For for Moses, it was about leaving, but it was also about going. God didn't just call him to leave where he was. God called him to go where God was sending him. And along the way, God told him to rest. That we don't just go, 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 go. God wants us to stop and rest in him and recognize that this isn't about our strength, that this isn't about how good we can do and how much we can produce. This is about us trusting God every step of the way. And so we stop. Even though we're not home, we stop as we follow our king. We um, We talked about Jeremiah and Daniel. And James preached about how, in uh, Daniel about this contrast between assimilation and tribalism that says we often err to one of these polar extremes. We will um, either clump together in this holy huddle and exclude everybody else, and we'll just hide because we want to be holy and because we want to be distinct. And we, so we shut everybody else off, and we're not a blessing. To those around us, and we don't shine light because we cover it up and we hide it and we protect it. Or the the other uh, extreme would be assimilation, to say I just become like everyone else around me. There is no difference. And God says, I'm not asking for you to be either of those. I want you to be distinct and yet light. I want you to be distinct, and yet I want you to be a blessing. I want you to be in the world and not of it. Tony preached last week through Jeremiah how even in exile, even as... A stranger in a strange land, God calls him to be a blessing to the city where he is. To build homes, to serve, to go out, to say, we are all sojourners, we are all aliens. None of us truly belong as citizens of this world. And I want to shine light where I am. I want to be a blessing to my community. Not just to become Uh, like them, so there's no distinction. I want to bless so that they can see a different alternative, a better alternative to just being stuck here. The reason is because Jesus is our king. Because we don't ultimately bow to anyone or anything in this world. And if we find ourselves bowing, it's time to recognize it and it's time to stand up. Because we only truly bow to one. That is our allegiance. He is our allegiance. So today we look at, today we're going to look at King Jesus. A little bit of context. Uh, Jesus has talked about him being king of sorts, but people had, um, people had a certain expectation of what their Savior, their Messiah, their Christ was going to look like they are under roman oppression they are under the roman rule that was brutal and they wanted freedom and when jesus arrives on the scene and he starts teaching with authority like they've never seen and they see him start to do miracles like they've never seen and there's something different about jesus they start murmuring and they start whispering jesus is the one we've been waiting for and as he approaches the climax of the story, he enters Jerusalem, which is where they all expect their king to arrive on the scene. And John 12, John 12 gives us a picture of this triumphal entry. John 12, starting in verse 12, says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. People were looking for a king, and they called Jesus their king. They wanted their king to come and take the throne, take Rome off the throne and find their identity under him. And so they're crying out, Hosanna, which is uh, one of those words that kind of weaves its way through multiple languages. In our Bible, we read Hosanna, and we're like, that's not, I don't, is that an English word? And it's actually translated from the Greek. And the Greek, they had the same thing. The Greek was, is Hosanna a Greek word? No, it's actually a Hebrew word, And we're translating it from there. And it's a Hebrew word that means save us. And so when they're crying out, they're crying out, save us. Only in the course of time, the word had kind of morphed, as words sometimes do. So instead of just simply meaning save us, the word had come to mean we have confidence in you, our Savior. We have confidence that you are saving us. And so when they cry out, Hosanna. They're not just crying out, Will you be the one who saves us? We make this request to you. They're saying, You are the one. You are the one who's saving us. And they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king. He's our king. And he's saving us. And then Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And in the course of the week, their confidence melts. And their confidence turns to doubt. And their doubt turns to anger. And their anger turns to rage. And their rage turns to something that gets Jesus murdered, something that gets Jesus crucified in the end. They didn't like who Jesus turned out to be. So, as a question for us, do you think we ever make God in our image? Do you think we ever look to God to say, God, I have these expectations of what you should be like. And you better, you better come through. It, it was, it's bewildering to think that they could miss Jesus. To think that they had expectations of Jesus that were so messed up that they didn't even recognize what he was doing. But I think we get a little bit cocky and a little bit puffed up if we think they're the only ones who have ever made that mistake. I think we have our own image and our own expectations on Jesus all the time. And instead of being students of Jesus, we say, this is who I expect him to be. And we don't follow him if, if he doesn't live up to those. So we want to say real clearly... Jesus, I want to know you. I want to study you. I want to follow you. I don't for a minute want you to follow me and my expectations. So who are you and where are you going? Jesus was constantly redirecting their expectations. So in the course of this week, Jesus had made enough, of, enough religious people angry that they trumped up charges of him being an insurrectionist, a rebel who would be a threat uh, to the throne in Rome, who would try and uh, usurp that power. So He's arrested. He's brought before the high priests, the religious leaders, and they say, we don't have the power to do this. We're going to bring him to the governor, who has the power of Rome. And they bring him before Pilate, and Pilate, they have this kind of dance to say, I don't want him, I don't want him, I don't want him, I don't want him. Pilate says, you deal with him. And they say, we can't kill him. You have to deal with him. And it's such an unstable, when you, when you deal with earthly power, you have to do everything in your power to protect that power, or the whole thing goes to chaos. And so Pilate, recognizing what could blow up in his face, starts to say, I had, I had better deal with this. And so he has a conversation about Jesus that I want to look at today. Uh, If we open up to John 18, this is is the conversation that um, I I get really excited about as we jump in today. John 18, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you The king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. And Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Now I think John, who is writing this gospel, is absolutely brilliant. John is showing us uh, two different or multiple layers of what is going on. On one layer, there's a trial, there's an interrogation, and there's suffering. But a different layer, if we can see it, shows a much deeper truth playing out. John actually is portraying, John actually is giving us a picture of the coronation of King Jesus and it looks very, very different from what we would expect. It looks nothing like what we'd expect. Jesus is standing before Pilate, charged with leading a rebellion, and he's claiming to be king, and Pilate asks him the question, are you a king? And it's loaded with political meaning. And Jesus, as he often does, doesn't answer directly. Because... Uh, Jesus actually answers with a question, and his question gets at, well, which question are you actually asking, Pilate? Are you asking a political question, to which the answer would be no? I I have no desire to assume an earthly throne. I'm not a political threat to Rome. I'm not doing that. But if you're asking a Jewish question, are you the king of the Jews?, are you the Messiah, then the answer would be yes. So Jesus, who, this is John in his brilliance. Jesus is being interrogated, and yet Pilate is the one on trial, almost. Jesus says, what question are you asking? Are you asking a Roman or a Jewish question? And Pilate knows, he's, am I a Jew? I don't ask Jewish questions. I don't care about that. So Jesus has the parameter set, and he says, well, then I can answer. My kingdom is from a far country. My kingdom is from a different, different place, another world. And he answers it with a yes and a no. I'm not the kind of king that you may be asking about. If I was, my people would have been fighting under my authority. And we have flashbacks to the scene in the garden when Jesus... When the company comes and arrests Jesus, and Peter protects his king, and what's he do? He he takes it out his his knife, his sword, and he cuts off the ear of the servant. Malchus is his name, Uh, which means it has a it has a connection to king. If you have a Bible, this is really fascinating. Go through this section and circle all form of king or kingdom, and you can see just how clearly John is focusing in on this as the climax right now. Peter cuts off his ear, and Jesus says, that's not how we operate. That's not how we operate. And he actually heals his enemy right there on the spot. And he allows himself to be arrested and blow them over with his voice. And he he goes in and he says, it's not that kind of kingdom, guys. And Pilate responds, so you are a king, though. And Jesus uh, his response is like, you keep calling me that. These are your words. You keep calling me king. I'll tell you about my kingdom. My kingdom is about truth. I came to represent truth. And I didn't just come to give you like head knowledge. I came to show you a picture of what truth looks like. When you look at me, you see Truth. And I'm not, I wish that we could hear Pilate's response when he says, what is truth? Because depending on on the sound of his voice, it's either a cynical question, what is truth? Like, don't bring truth in here. That's, I don't even believe in that. Or, it could be a genuine question. I am so stuck in this place. I'm so wrapped up in this earth and what is going on in the power that is here. I can't see myself out of it. What is truth? Because it's bent all over from my point of view. I don't know which one Pilate is getting at. I don't know. What is truth? And so Pilate takes Jesus out and he offers to release him. He says, I don't. I'm, he's innocent as far as I'm concerned. I have no worry about this man. Uh, and yet he, he knows that there is unrest. And so he makes this offer. I'll release to you one man. Barabbas, the ESV, says he's a robber. It has more to do with insurrectionists, uh, a rebel, a terrorist, if you will. And they say, we want the terrorist. You take Jesus. You go kill him. And Pilate says, I'm not going to kill him. I'll have him flogged. Of the terms, when it says flogged, this was like the least violent uh, penalty that Pilate, it was kind of like a, this will teach you a lesson. Keep your mouth shut. Don't stir up trouble. And then I'll, I'll release you again. That was, I think, Pilate's intent at this point. Just beat him a little bit. You know, not too bad. And then let him go. And it's not going to happen that way. And this is where John, I think, in the layers, starts to show us something beautiful is happening here. In one of the most gruesome scenes that unfolds, beauty is showing its true colors. Soldiers begin to mock him. And it says they, took a, they twisted up a crown of thorns, which, if depending on which plant they use, uh, some scholars say this, this could have been a plant with 12-inch thorns, so that when they put it on him, it was like rays of sun coming out, except uh, of torture. So he's crowned. He receives a crown, and he receives a royal robe, except it's a robe of mockery. Uh, a Roman soldier likely takes off their crimson red uh, uh, robe and puts it on him and says, "This, this is your royal robe. And they start to say, hail Jesus, king of the Jews. This is Jesus being crowned king. Only it's not what we would hope for if we're thinking here. Do you see the layers? Do you see the majesty and the humiliation all at once? How they build on each other. Jesus is king. He doesn't come like a king of the world. He doesn't lord it over his subjects. He actually gives himself to his subjects. He doesn't rule with worldly fear and with domination. He rules with love and with invitation. Instead of a crown made of gold, Jesus is given a crown of thorns. Instead of a royal robe, he's given mockery around his shoulders. Instead of a grand and glorious procession, he's paraded through the streets, unable to even stand because of the weight of the cross on his shoulders. Instead of ascending to the royal thrones with servants on his right and left hands, he's lifted up on a cross on the top of a hill with with crooks, with violators on his right and his left. Instead of earthly glory, he receives earthly shame. And instead of earthly possessions, he's stripped of everything. But, but, instead of his reign and rule ending with his death, his death ushers in an eternal kingdom, one that will never, ever end. Instead of punishing anyone who would mock him, Jesus is mocked so that we could dare stand before him. Instead of hiding the riches and hoarding the riches to himself, Jesus offers us an inheritance beyond anything the world could offer. Instead of inviting death to conquer his subjects, Jesus conquers death so that he can invite his subjects. Philippians 2, 6-10 gives us a picture of the king coming down so that he could lead us home. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus and it says, who though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality equality and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This, this is the king who becomes a sojourner, who becomes an alien, who becomes an exile, so that he can lead the strangers and the exiles and the sojourners to the kingdom. The king gets off his throne, picks us up, and carries us home. That is his glory. That is his glory. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? It's one thing to just say, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. It's another thing for us to chew on it, to swallow it, to make it a part of who we are. I think there's a number of things that we can do, a number of things that we could apply to our life looking at King Jesus. And the first is, I think we're faced with Pilate's question today. What is truth? Are we people who really ask it? Or are we people who have been so... Burned by this world, that that question just becomes a statement of cynicism. What is truth? And that's for me. That's for you. Are you asking what is true? Not just here. that's important, but true in a way that gets in and then works itself out. What is true? What is worthy of giving my life to? What is true? Jeremiah, that we looked at last week, God says, No matter where you are, He says, You will seek me. And you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. There is a way of asking the question, What is true? and not really looking for the answer. And then there is a way of asking the question that is really seeking God. And I believe wholeheartedly that God does not want to remain a mystery. God does not want to hide on us, but he he does not want to give himself to us cheaply. Like if we don't really want him, he's not going to force himself on us. If you seek me with everything you have, I will give you everything that I am. Are you looking? The second question gets more to the core of our identity. What are you made of? Pilate reveals himself as lacking courage, I think. Because time and time again, he tries to back out of things. He, he pushes him back on the religious leaders. He says, you deal with this. He says, I find no guilt in him. He tries to let him off with an easy beating, as, as if there were such a thing. And he, every step, he says, I, this is not right. But I'm going to go with it. And he lacks courage. And finally, he just washes his hands. But you contrast that with Jesus. There is nothing that would stop Jesus from living out what he was called to do. You can mock him. You can beat him. You can spit on him. You can kill him. And he will hold fast to the purpose that he came. This is why I came. I want to bring you home, he says. Nothing could dissuade him from that. It's one thing to know something, and it's an entirely different thing to live it out. Pilate knew, and Jesus lived it out. What are you made of? What is your identity? Where do you find yours? Where do you find your identity? Pilate I could say, I think we make an argument, Pilate found his identity in Rome and earthly authorities. He didn't want to stir waters. And Jesus' identity came from a different place. On earth here, he submitted to the Father. Every step along the way, he says, I don't do anything unless the Father has told me to do it. That's who I find my identity in. Where is your identity? Is it in what others say you are, or is it in who Jesus says you are? And that question leads to the next. Will you live with courage and conviction, or will you live with compromise and cop-out? How easily are you sidelined? How easily are you taken out of the game? Is your eye on the prize of the far country? Are you living in the service of the king? Are you spending yourself to help other people see him? I don't know if I've ever showed you this. I don't think I've, I've had it here to show you. Uh, this is one of my prized possessions. It's a rugby ball. I've never played rugby in my life. <laughs> my uncle did, uh, and I looked up to my uncle growing up a great deal. He gave this to me Uh, one year as a gift, and he wrote on it, Shannon, never be afraid to be different. And he's in this moment that I'm sure he didn't know would last this long. In this moment, he's calling me to live out of my identity. Don't go with the flow unless unless that's where you really want to go. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be different just because it's cool, don't be afraid to be different. Live out of your identity. And I, I love the message that he gave me in that. Live out of your identity, not just in the pressure that the world will put on you or that anybody else will put on you. I say you're, you will find your true self when you live out of who Jesus says you are. So, are you seeking? What are you made of? And the third maybe can just come in the form of an encouragement. That things are not always what they seem. This is the dual layers of John here in the gospel. This seems like the darkest hour for Jesus. And yet, John tells us that this is a moment of great Great importance. This moment, John would say, actually belongs to Jesus. This is a moment of his glory. This is a moment of his coronation, of him showing himself as king. In a few short chapters, Jesus defeats death and he rises from the dead and he said, There is no power that I can't defeat. And I will take it all into my hands so that I can bring you home. What seems like his darkest hour leads to glory. Jesus is actually not a victim. Jesus is a king. This king changes death from a destination to a passage to life. And now, death is an invitation is a doorway to forever with him. If God can transform this hour in the Gospel of John, then he can transform any hour. Any hour that you find yourself in, God can transform. And he may not do it by making everything neat and pretty in the here and now. He didn't do it for Jesus. We have no reason to think he will do it for us. But he can transform it at a level that is real, not just what's here. Will you let God transform your hours? If you want to know the way to his kingdom, Jesus said, we look to him. That in John 14, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And if you're seeking any of those things, you look to me. I am the way in which love is freely given, he says. I'm the way in which justice is fully executed. I'm the way in which lives are transformed. I'm the way in which we get to live our lives in the here and now. Jesus is the way we follow, and he is our way home. Jesus left his throne not just to show us the way, but to be the way. And we can cry out today, Hosanna. Jesus, in you, we are saved. You are our king. Will you surrender? And will you continue to surrender day after day after day to King Jesus? And in so doing, find your life. This world knows one kind of power. It's self-serving, it's self-protecting, and it's self-promoting. And Jesus brings a a different kind of power. As citizens of a far country, we follow a king who is self-sacrificing, who protects others, who thinks of them first. May we be a people who sincerely seek God. May we live with courage and conviction as citizens of a far country, may we allow Jesus to continually transform us and the hours we're in, no matter where we find ourselves. May we surrender our lives to King Jesus and find life. And may we live as citizens of a kingdom who spend ourselves for others. Let's pray. Jesus, in a moment, we're going to take communion. You shared your last meal uh, with your friends here. And in the meal, you picked up the bread and you said, this is this is my body and it's broken for you. You picked up the cup. You said, this is my blood. It's, it's poured out for you. This is the new covenant. This is... This is life. And we have layers going on. We have suffering and we have glory. We have mockery and yet we have a king. Jesus, would you make us people who seek after you? Would you show us what it cost you? Would you show us what you offer? Would you humble us and would you fill us that we could live our lives with you and for you and through you. Jesus, we love you. We pray in your name. Amen.